Let us pray. Our most gracious Father, draw near and cause us to know your word more deeply. Cause us to feed upon your word. Cause your word to work in us by your spirit to draw us unto yourself. For you have already drawn near to us in the reading of it. So let it work in us that we might in turn draw near to you. Renew our hearts and our minds and lead and guide us that this word might bear great fruit in each of us and in our church. And we ask all of these things through our Lord Jesus Christ, the true vine. Amen. Amen. Truth be told, I'm no gardener. If you look at my yard, you'll, you'll see that I do not possess a green thumb. I never realized how hard it is to actually just grow simple grass. I always thought it was something like this. You throw out some seed, put down some straw on top of it, and it comes up with some regular rain and watering. But that has not been my experience thus far, except for a couple of patches in our backyard that seem to have the right kind of ground, the right kind of nutrition that let the grass spring up. But the rest of our yard, the front yard especially, is a whole other story. So based on that experience, I can't imagine how hard it actually is to keep a vine, a grapevine growing, to keep it healthy, to keep it producing good fruit. Now growing up, we had a grapevine at my parents' house. I remember it fondly. In fact, I remember often throughout many summers just going up and plucking little grapes off of it quite a bit and just munching on them, spitting out the seeds and enjoying them every once in a while. But we never had any great harvest of grapes off this good-sized vine, except for one year. I remember something being different that year. My dad must have gone out and trimmed the vine back that spring and kind of kept an eye on it because that year we actually had good grapes, good, large, sweet-tasting grapes, so much so that we picked them multiple times. And then my mom, I remember, made jam for everyone made bottles and bottles and jars and jars of jam and sealed them up and gave them away to people because we just had so many grapes that year. It was amazing. But most years it was hit and miss, just a few tiny grapes growing here and there on the vine because we didn't tend to it. We didn't take care of it like we should have. And Jesus' words today are absolutely true when it comes to a literal grapevine, that you have to prune it in order for it to bear good fruit. The vine dresser has to take care of the ground around it, take care of the vine in order for it to produce what the vine dresser wants it to produce. But he uses that as only a mere illustration of what is happening in each of us and in his church through Jesus being that true vine, through him being the one that brings life. And the reality is if we are to have any life in Christ, that life begins with the fact that he is the true vine and we are but the branches. We are not vines. We are not in control. We are not doing the things that we want to do. The reality is that we as believers depend on the true vine because we are but branches coming off of that vine. It's funny that that seems so simple, doesn't it? That, oh, I'm just a branch. That makes sense. It doesn't seem that complicated. But the reality of it is, it is that complicated. It is amazingly complicated because of our proclivity to sin, 
our desire to do that which is wrong, our desire to break God's law, means that we are constantly branches in need of change, branches in need of trimming and pruning in order that the reality of what God desires, that fruit to come forth, will come out of us. Our desire for sin keeps us from doing what our union with the vine is intended to do, that is, to produce that fruit. God desires fruit, and so we're going to just simply walk through this passage and look at the things that he is telling us. Because the fruit doesn't just happen in us. In one sense it does, but from another sense we have to do what we're called to do, which is to abide in the vine, to abide in Christ, to abide in what God has given to us. It's not like we're on an IV drop. Comatose patients who are just simply being fed and fed and fed and we just receive without responding in any way. We like to try to picture the Christian life like that, but God makes it clear that we're not those comatose patients. We are active in what we do. We are to go out like the Israelites in the wilderness and gather the manna that God has freely poured upon the ground. It would sit there until they gathered it up to gain their sustenance. Likewise, with the life that we have in Christ, he has poured everything into us that we need because we are connected to the vine. But we have to respond. We have to receive those things and live in those things and abide in Christ. And so we're going to walk through and see what it means, what Jesus means when he talks about this picture of abiding, of being a branch attached to a grapevine. And the first thing that we encounter in verses 1 through 3 is that there is a vine and there is the vine dresser. There is the vine that produces the branches that have fruit. And then there is the vine dresser who cares for that vine, who watches over those branches, who watches over the fruit, who inspects the fruit to make sure that it is growing well as it needs to. And that vine dresser is the Father himself. Jesus' Father, our Father through adoption, God the Father, is the dresser of the vine who comes and watches the vine and makes sure that it is doing and pouring life into those branches. And then he looks at those branches and determines what needs to be done, whether they need to be just broken off and gotten rid of because they are not responding at all to the vine they are attached to, or if they need to be pruned. They need to be trimmed back in order to have more sustenance going into them to produce the fruit, to have more going out of them, because a branch will just keep growing and growing and growing. And as the branch grows, it sucks away life from the fruit. It sucks away that life that needs to go into the fruit. I saw this with flowers that my wife would plant, that if we didn't pick off the dead buds, the blooms that withered up and dried up and trim away little bits of the flower, the flower wouldn't grow. It would just kind of get to a place and then all the sustenance would be going into these dead parts. And as you trim off those dead parts, other parts of the flower can grow larger and grow more healthy. And that's what the Father is doing to us. He prunes us. He trims us. He trims us back as we are abiding, as we are responding and producing that fruit. He trims us back a little bit more so that the fruit will grow more and more. And what's interesting is when he speaks of this every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's not the usual word for prune. It's a word that relates to an important word in verse 3. For Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
The word for prune and the word for clean are related in the text. Such that Jesus is making the point to his disciples that they are the ones that the Father is pruning right now. And in one sense, they've already been pruned some. They are already been cleaned because of his word, because they are responding to that word. That word has come to dwell in them, and they are being changed by it and are responding and are moving toward that continual abiding. And so the Father wants us to bear fruit and trims us and prunes us in order that we would remain clean, in order that we would remain in his word. And so then we move on to the vine and the branches. The Father prunes the branches that they would bear more fruit. That's his ultimate desire. He doesn't desire for the branches to die, but he desires for them to grow healthy and to bear fruit. And the way that those branches can bear fruit is by abiding in the vine, by abiding in Christ for us. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Our life withers up and dies when we disconnect ourselves from Christ. When we quit receiving the life and the sustenance he gives us, we wither up, we die, we draw away from Christ more and more. And eventually that means that we lose our way and we are broken away from that vine because we do not respond. But again, the desire is to abide. We are already connected to Christ. He has brought us in by his word, by baptism, by giving us faith. We have been connected to Christ in a real way. And so he says, abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. If the branch is broken off, the fruit won't come because it doesn't have life flowing through it anymore. And so neither can we unless we abide in Christ. We have to remain connected. And how do we remain connected to Christ? What is it that we are to do? We have to continually draw back to Christ. We have to continually look back to him and draw near to him through his word, through prayer, through worship. Those things bring us back to Christ. They take our eyes off of ourselves and they put our eyes on Christ on the cross, on him resurrected from the dead. By drawing near to his word, his spirit acts in us and pours that life of Christ that comes from him as divine into us. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. It seems harsh for Jesus to say something like that, but ultimately, the fruit that God is seeking, the fruit that the vine dresser, that the Father wants of us is spiritual fruit. Fruit that draws forth from the faith that we have, that has been placed in us by Jesus and by the Spirit working in us. Fruit here isn't merely just any kind of good work that can be done, because after all, those who don't believe do things that are outwardly good. But here, fruit that is being born by believers is fruit that comes out of faith. Fruit that is before the Father done in faith in Jesus, done in the strength and power of the Spirit working in us. It is fruit and actions that come out of our experience of salvation, that come out of our love for Jesus, out of a recognition that He is the one above us and in charge of us and giving us the very life that we need. 
But he gives us a strong warning here in verse 6 about the branch. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. He puts this warning before his disciples and before us as a reminder that just because we are connected to the vine, we can wither up and die by not abiding, by not drawing back, and by not relying on the life of Jesus to come into us. It's a hard and scary thing to think about that idea that if I don't draw near to Jesus regularly, his life begins to ebb away from me. I begin to lose touch with that life that exists in me from Jesus. I'm not doing works to keep my salvation. I'm not doing works to earn my salvation. I'm just simply doing what I was created to do. Depending on Jesus. Depending on what he has accomplished for me. But what Jesus does is he follows up quickly by reminding them, If you abide in me, though, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Your salvation will be granted. Your salvation will be assured in you as you abide in Christ. As his word abides in us, we can draw near and ask what we need. We can draw near and ask what it is that we are needing to have to grow, to be strengthened, to be renewed. And it will be done for you. The vine and the branches. We depend on the vine because we are but branches. We depend on life. We depend on sustenance. We depend on our salvation coming from that very vine, that Jesus himself for us. And we abide in him. We draw near by word and prayer and worship in order that we would be renewed, in order that we would abide. And of course, that leads us to the final point here of the vine and the fruit. In verses 8 through 11, Jesus talks and says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus shifts the picture from being abiding in the vine and abiding in him to abiding in his love for us. What we have to realize is that abiding in Christ and abiding in his love is the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. For Jesus is the love that he has for us, and his love is Jesus himself in a way. His love is fully expressed out of his person by his dying on the cross and being raised back to life on our behalf. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He pours out all of his love for us. And through him, the very love of the Father for him comes to us, and so we can abide in his love and that is abiding in Christ himself. And he goes on to say in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He gives us a picture now of what it means to abide in Christ. That the branch that bears fruit abides in the commandments. They keep the commandments that the Lord has given to us. And Jesus says, You will, keep, you will abide in my love when you keep my commandments, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus continually and perfectly kept the Father's commandments on our behalf. Jesus was sent into this world to draw people to the Father through himself, to be the Messiah, to be the anointed one who would go to the cross for our sins and be raised back to life and then pour out the Holy Spirit upon his people to renew them, to bring them fully into his love, to give them an experience of his love that we had never known before. 
And abiding in Christ's love means keeping his commandments. Keeping his commandments leads us to abiding in Christ and producing fruit. The commandments themselves is not the fruit. Abiding in the commandments means abiding in Christ, which means fruit will come out of that. It's a strange interrelated relationship. As we abide in Christ's love, we keep his commandments. And as we desire more and more to keep his commandments, we abide more and more in his love. That is the fruit that begins to be produced in us, those actions of doing what Christ has called us to do, abiding in his love. As we abide in his love, we do the things he has called us to do. And the first thing that he calls us to do, the first fruit that we begin producing out of the experience of our salvation is faith and repentance. Those two go together always in our lives. We can't separate them. We can distinguish them because they have different aspects of our response to Jesus' work for us, but they go together ultimately. For one without the other is not real. We don't really have faith without repentance. And we don't really have repentance without faith. But what do we have faith in? I've said it many times already. It is faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for us. It is faith in Jesus himself for our forgiveness. You see, faith is about Jesus and his work, not about me. We don't just have faith in Jesus unless that faith relates to the fact that we need forgiveness. Faith relates to Jesus and his work completely. I trust in what Jesus has done for me because I need that work for me. I can't come to the Father without Jesus. So to trust in Jesus is to absolutely admit that I am a sinner. To have faith in Jesus, properly speaking, is to admit that there is a reason for this faith, and that reason is that I am a sinner. Why believe in Jesus if I'm not a sinner? There's no need for it. If I have no sin... I have no need for Jesus. But if I do have sin, then I have a great and dire need for him. And so that's why faith and repentance are so intimately connected, because faith recognizes my need for Jesus because I'm a sinner. And so faith says, what I do is not right. What I do is not what God has called me to do. What I do is break God's commandments, but God has made a way to forgive that breaking of those commandments. And so I repent of that breaking. I turn away from that breaking. That's what faith does. It turns us away from those things that we want to do and have done in the past. My faith is directly related to the need for forgiveness, then my recognition of that need for forgiveness is a recognition that those actions have to change, that those actions that I have performed are not the right ones. I confess a need for forgiveness, then I'm confessing that I have committed sin. And thus, my actions have to change. If those actions remain constantly, those sinful actions stay there with no resistance on my part, then am I really seeking God's forgiveness truly? If I go out and commit treason, if I go out and rob a bank over and over and over and keep saying to the judge, forgive me, I'm sorry, I won't do that again, and then go do it again, did I really mean that? Did I really mean, forgive me, I won't do it again? There is a resistance that is created by faith and repentance toward the things that we're turning from. We look and see Jesus as he is, the one who forgives our sins, and faith thus becomes repentance in our actions. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of actions. It's a change of behavior, ultimately. 
based on the faith within. I like to sum repentance up like this. It's that God is the great truth teller, and I am not. I want to hide my sins, deny my sins, disregard my sins. But God constantly points at those sins. He constantly reveals my sins through his word and shows what he has done to deal with those sins. I am a great sinner indeed, yes, but Jesus is a great Savior, a greater Savior than the greatness of my sins, in fact. The Word of God, the law of God comes and bears down upon me a sinner in order to drive me to confess those sins in faith that Jesus has done something about that. That is the first fruits that come out of abiding in Christ, out of abiding in Him and Him, uh, him abiding in us. We are drawn into faith and repentance and everything flows from that. The change of heart is acknowledged. The change of heart is seen. And we can begin doing the things that, Paul, that Peter talks about over in his letter today. When he talks about desiring to see good things, let his tongue keep from evil. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. He wants us to have unity, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All of that flows out of faith and repentance. Because the opposite of all of those things is selfishness. The opposite of all of those things is turning in on myself and wanting only to do things for myself. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind is a denial of oneself for the sake of those Jesus has put in front of us. Now, if we don't abide in the vine properly, we'll turn in on ourselves and eventually have to be cut away and taken away. But the vine dresser prunes us. He reveals that need. He reveals to us the fact that we need to turn to Jesus, that we need to return to depending on the vine by trimming us by taking away those bits and pieces of us that get in the way of producing the fruit of faith and repentance and everything that flows out of that. The Father is gracious in that pruning. Though it hurts, though it creates pain, though it creates suffering in us, it turns us back to Jesus. It returns us to our Lord and Savior more and more to depend upon Him in everything. We feed on Jesus by abiding in Him, and we abide in Him by looking to His Word, to prayer, to the sacraments, to worship together. And all of those things are us abiding in Christ and Him and us, so that we, as the branches, can depend on the true vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and the only way for our Christian life to move forward is for us to receive that truth, that everything comes out of Jesus. And we respond with faith and repentance. And that faith and repentance leads to a renewal that the Spirit creates in us because the life of Jesus is in us, because we're branches. It all interconnects and goes together. And so let us abide in Jesus let us draw near to Him. Let us own the confession that we made earlier and receive the life that comes out of that absolution. And let us go forward in joy, as Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. He doesn't say abide in me 
and I will abide in you to make us scared because he makes abiding in him simple. Draw near in prayer, draw near in faith, draw near in repentance, draw near in scripture. And he is there, he is found, he is discovered easily to be bringing life to us. And so abide in Christ and he will abide in you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.